do you remember things? How do you, how do you keep things in your mind? One of the ways that our culture uses and that many of us use is slogans. We use slogans. I was walking through a, a Target years ago, and this kid came walking by me. He looked like he was about 9 or 10 years old. looked just like Chunk from the movie The Goonies, and he was wearing this shirt. The shirt said, what are your other two wishes? An hour later, I was still laughing in the car. Slogans are on T-shirts, they're on magnets, they're on billboards. We, we put them all over the place. And these days, there are a lot of slogans surrounding the pandemic. Most of them we don't want to hear anymore, and so I won't repeat any of them. But, but they all have to do with safety. And, and we know safety slogans, right? I mean, we've seen them our whole life. At school, when we were growing up, there were, there were different slogans that we saw. There were things that we knew we were being told to pay attention to. And I was reading an article this week on, on safety risk, something that has become a, a daily part of my life now to read about safety and, and read about risk in, in the culture and the days that we're in. And, and this one particular article referenced a safety slogan and it, it said something very interesting about it. This is the slogan. All accidents are preventable. Now, what's, what's wrong with that safety slogan? Well, technically, it's, it's not true. It's, it's impossible. Because, see, that slogan, although well-intentioned, well, well it, it completely leaves out the reality of human failing, human error, human fallibility. Now, do we need to be safe at school? Yeah. Do we need to be safe at work? Yeah. Do we need to be safe at home? Yes. In, in every way, on any given day, you should be doing all you can to, to be wise and to be kind in the way that you function so that you are doing everything you possibly can to protect yourself and your family and your friends and even complete strangers. You should do all that you can to protect others. Now, some might say, well, that's just kind of a silly notion in this day and age. I, I can't do everything I can to protect others. That, that may be true, but, but let me just see if I can put it in different language for you. Imagine that this afternoon your, your daughter is in traffic somewhere and your grandkids are in the back seat. Are you not going to want the stranger in the car next to her to be kinder and wiser in how he drives his car? And if you want that, then don't you think that that stranger wants you to be kinder and wiser when you're in your car driving around his grandkids? Or when you're sneezing next to his grandmother in the store? Or when you're trying to hug his mom at a church regathering? See, we, we understand the concept of what it means to be kind and wise in, in ways that are safe for others. In fact, there's never a single day of your life that you should be looking for a loophole so that you don't have to be wise and kind toward safety, toward, toward trying to protect yourself and others. There's, there's no loophole you should be looking for, especially if you are a Christian. 
I saw some statistics this week that really press us into thinking through this. Don't get lost in these numbers. But the statistics show this, that 100% of all spouses are not perfect. 100% of all parents are not perfect. 100% of all kids are not perfect. The statistics show that there are zero perfect neighbors. There are zero perfect politicians. There are zero perfect pastors. There are zero perfect church members. And I'm sorry to offend you, but, but the statistics also have borne out that you are not perfect. And I am not perfect so that safety slogan is good and noble and it should be pursued by all means but it's impossible because no one is perfect so all accidents can't perfectly always be avoided so what do we do when the slogan doesn't work What do we do when the the slogan that we're living our lives by doesn't work? What do we do when the slogan that we are using to to function, the, the, the motto of our life, is something that actually hurts the people we love? What do we do when the the motto, the slogan of our life is actually hurting people we don't know? And maybe more personally, what do we do? when the slogan of our lives is actually wrecking our very own souls. What do we do then? Let's see if we can find out. The Apostle Paul is writing some folks in a place called Corinth. The community of Corinth was marked with a number of things. Emotional anxiety, sexual immorality, political corruption, Social unrest, human injustice, and religious division. So it'll be a stretch for us to try to think of their community, right? Now the reality is, is I'm pretty sure these words from Paul to those folks a long time ago have not lost any of their punch for us right now. So what did Paul say to them? Well, he's trying to move them onward. And he writes this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. So this was some kind of slogan in the church at Corinth. Some kind of motto. They might have even pulled it from a sermon or a Bible study or, or from the church bylaws somewhere, but it was, it was something connected to the church, something they were using in the Corinthian church. All things are lawful for me. They might have had it printed on magnets. They might have had it on a T-shirt that they wore to political rallies, but it was something that they used. This slogan was one of their slogans, and at first glance, it promotes a biblical truth. A Christian is free in Christ. This is what Jesus said, John 8, 36. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Today we might look at this notion of their slogan as what we would call Christian liberty. And boy, we are living in a time where Christian liberty is a big topic, right? 
I think when it comes to many people's definitions of Christian liberty, I think philosopher Inigo Montoya would say, you keep using those words, I don't think they mean what you think they mean. For instance, although my personal desires might be temporarily hindered, if the doors of the church are not open, my freedom to worship Jesus Christ is never hindered. Or perhaps my personal comfort might be temporarily hindered if the home improvement store asks me to wear a mask when I'm inside of their business. But I will not be hindered from the freedom of purchasing what I went into the store to purchase. My personality might be temporarily hindered if the zoo asked me to social distance in the kangaroo pit. But my freedom to enjoy the kangaroos and make sure they don't kick me will not be hindered. Christian liberty and Christian freedom does not mean that everything we want, we must have, nor does it mean if some aspect of our freedom is taken away that all of our freedom is taken away. Tim Sin is a friend of mine. He was for his senior year in college. He was my, my prayer buddy and my accountability partner. He also happens to be my in-law's pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas these days. He wrote this to his church recently. From a Christian perspective, if I love you, I should desire your health and well-being above my own personal desires and therefore do what I can to protect you from the inadvertent spread of this disease. Now, where would he get a crazy idea like that? Well, this is what Jesus said. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Christian perspective. I, I cannot force non-Christians to gather that perspective. But for those of us who call ourselves believers, this is the Christian perspective. You can deny it. You can ignore it. You can push back from it. You can reject it. You can be angry about it. But you can't erase it. This is what Jesus said. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, sometimes you love your neighbor by hugging them and shaking their hand when you see them at church. But, if your church is in a regathering phase then you might love your neighbor by giving them an air hug or giving them an air high five. Why? Because hugging and not hugging and shaking a hand or not shaking a hand are both ways that Christian love can work. You might love your neighbor by letting them borrow your saw. But if last week they borrowed your drill and broke it, 
then you might love your neighbor by not letting them borrow your tools anymore because they're having to dip into their savings and sell their Yogi Berra baseball cards to keep replacing broken tools. You see, letting someone borrow or not letting someone borrow can both be ways that Christian love works. Or you might love your neighbor by going into their office or into their home wearing a mask because they may have had some type of sickness or some type of of medical treatment. And you love them by doing that. Or if the medical treatments are done, if the doctors have said they've done all they could do, then you might love your neighbor by going to their home, sliding your mask down, and kissing them on the forehead. Why? Because both of those reflect how Christian love can work. Christian liberty, Christian freedom should never cancel out Christian love. Christian liberty, Christian freedom should only enhance Christian love. Why? Because Christian liberty, Christian freedom should be feeding Christian love, and Christian love is always looking for ways to be helpful. Look what Paul says next. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Yes, if you're a Christian, you're free. You are. You're free to eat bacon. You're free. You're free to play golf. You're free to go shopping. You're free to take medicine. But you are not free to eat so much bacon that your daily sodium level is the same as a sticker price of a Ferrari F60. You're not free to play so much golf that that your family barely sees you and your best friend is the gopher at the club that digs holes in the greens. You're not free to shop so much that you have 13 credit cards maxed out and you vacation every year with the mall security and his family. And you're not so free to take medicine to such a degree and in such a way that your family has to put you in treatment because of abuse. So yes, you are free, but you're not free to do whatever you want. See, Christian liberty does not say, hey, do anything and everything that you want. Why? Because anything and everything is not profitable. And anything and everything is not beneficial. And anything and everything is not appropriate. And anything and everything is not helpful. And anything and everything does not bring things together. Christian liberty and Christian freedom does not mean that you are free to do whatever you want or to do whatever you think is right in your own eyes. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. 
Now, can you imagine a guy in the crowd turning to Jesus saying, Jesus, come on, don't mince words with me. Tell me where I stand. Tell, Tell me where things really are. Now, he wouldn't. Jesus is pretty clear. And however you want to interpret the intensity of what Jesus is saying, you cannot erase or ignore the meaning. And the meaning is this, what you do matters. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what your job is, what you do matters. Whether you are a Christian or you are not a Christian, what you do matters. And hell, according to Jesus, is a real consequence. You are not free to do whatever you want. You are free to do whatever you want in Christ. That's that's a difference. So what does it mean to be free to do everything in Christ? Well, it's just this reminder that all things do not honor Jesus. All things do not advance the gospel. All things do not edify the church. All things do not help your family. All things do not help your friends. All things do not help your community. It's just to make it personal. All things, like if you have total freedom and you do whatever you want, it's not good for your heart. It's not good for your mind. It's not good for your body. And it's not good for your soul. All things. Whatever you want is not the definition of Christian liberty. Christian liberty should not cancel out Christian love because by definition, Christian liberty means that you're in Christ and you can't be in Christ and be outside of Christ at the same time. So so not perfectly, but if you are a believer and if you are a Christian and if you profess to be a follower of Christ, then you should be looking for ways to be loving and helpful. Not perfectly, but you need to be in the ballpark. So, how are you doing at looking for ways to be loving and helpful? If we could look back through your social media posts this past week, how are you doing at at being loving and helpful? How are you doing at, at taking your Christian freedom and using that freedom to, to fuel Christian love to be helpful to the world for the cause of the gospel. And the reason we're helpful for the cause of the gospel is because we believe that Jesus is the only one who can give you rest. Okay? Your movie, a, a reprieve from from certain foods or an indulgence in certain foods or or whatever you want to slide in the blank, there are things that may give you rest for an hour or two hours, a weekend, a week, but the only person who can give your soul rest is Jesus. And so we use our Christian freedom and our Christian liberty to feed our Christian love so that we might be looking for ways to be helpful so that as we're looking for ways to be helpful, people might hear the gospel and they might find the rest that can only come from Jesus. So, how do you start exercising your Christian freedom? Where does it begin? Well, it begins with a slogan. It begins with a slogan. The slogan comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, and this is it. You were bought with a price. 
that's where your Christian freedom begins. That's where your Christian liberty begins. That this is the slogan in your mind and your heart that you should repeat over and over again. I was bought with a price, and then you step in to what you're doing. I was bought with a price. My freedom only exists because of the blood of Christ. You are not free without the blood of Christ. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't be a good enough citizen. You can't do the right thing enough. You can't be safe enough to be right with God. You need the safety, the protection, and the salvation of the blood of Jesus. Because without the blood of Jesus, without the price that he paid, right now you are dead in your sins, dead in your trespasses. You are without hope in this world or in the world to come. So being bought with a price, it's kind of a big deal. And here's what happens. When you get that, when you realize that you've been bought with a price, listen, it changes how you speak and how you act and how you talk. It changes how you function on the streets of major cities during a protest, and it changes how you function on the streets of your own neighborhood. Being bought with a price changes how you think and how you act and how you live. This is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified, killed, put away, surrendered with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. And then he says this, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christian liberty, Christian freedom says this, I am free, I am free, I am free, I am free to live for Christ. Not I'm free to do whatever I want, I'm free to live for Christ. I'm free to live for the one who gave himself up for me. That is my freedom. I'm free to go in the parking lot at Target in Minneapolis and pass out water bottles and pray with people. I'm free to do that. That's what John did. I met John Erickson about 13 years ago, I think, something like that, in Raleigh, North Carolina. I think if I remember right about that time, too, he was just beginning his ministry at Jubilee Church in Minneapolis. The one thing I distinctly remember about John when I met him was his humble despair over the fact that there was a Chick-fil-A like five states away from Minneapolis. There was no Chick-fil-A, and, and it really bumped him out. Who knows what's happening with those Chick-fil-A's now because they've arrived up there. They made their way up to Minneapolis, but, but who knows the state of things today. You see, over the, the last few days in, in John's immediate neighborhood, it's been all the chaos that we've seen on the news. On that first night, there were, were bullets flying outside of the, the houses of some of his church members. I don't know if their, their church was specifically attacked and, and vandalized, but I do know that he posted a picture where there was smoke just pouring right above the roof. He had to get together with the, the elders of their church and they had to pray about whether or not they should advise some of their church families to evacuate for their own safety. 
I'll be honest, as I've been looking through his post the last few days, it's really helped me a lot with the stress of trying to regather the church. It's given me a lot of perspective on things that we should just pray about and really not worry about. Maybe I say that from my own heart. As things unfolded, John went to the Target parking lot, the Target where his son works, and he and some other church members, as, as the building was still being attacked and, and looted during the morning and the, and the day, they, they just made themselves available in the parking lot. They, they passed out water and they, they prayed with people. He reported also this week another thing that we've, we've seen played out, and, and that is that their local police precinct was not damaged by angry people from their community. But specifically, they, they watched as, as five young white men not from their community came and destroyed the police precinct. On that first night, as the fires were growing, as, as the bullets were flying, he reported at 2 o'clock in the morning this was happening, at 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock. In the middle of all of that, this is what was in his update. Tears sighing and yet going to our good king. How is that your response? How how does John, in in the middle of the chaos of what his family and and his church family and their community was experiencing, how do you say tears, sighing, and yet going to our good king? How? Because no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on, there's never a time not to turn to the king. There's never a time that Christian liberty doesn't run to Jesus. There's never a time that that Christian freedom stands up and says, I'm going to fight for my rights right now. No, Christian freedom says, Jesus, I'm going to run to you, and then you show me what to do. You strengthen me to do what I need to do. I looked yesterday as as John posted a small video of a huge field park in their neighborhood where people of of all races and colors and backgrounds had gathered. I, I couldn't even tell how many people. And they were just there to pray and talk about how they could help each other. See, Christian liberty, Christian freedom. It it looks for ways to help, and it never stops turning to the king, ever. It never stops turning to the king. Why is that truth important for you? You may say, well, I'm not in one of these cities. My family is not African-American, so I'm not in this conversation, or or I'm, I'm, I'm far away from this. So why does it still matter for you? Well, it still matters for you because no matter what's happening in the world, it is a constant, consistent wake-up call for our own personal hearts. Are we turning to the king? Are we using our Christian liberty and freedom to show our Christian love so that people can find the one, the only one, who can give their soul rest? So here's how it might play out practically. I was reading a story a couple of weeks ago that happened 35 years ago. Uh, Incidentally, it happened uh, probably maybe just a couple of streets over 
from what was happening with John and their family. And this was the scene. This is what happened. So a man was walking down the sidewalk in a three-piece suit. And, and another man, who was Pastor John Piper, was, was standing in the window of his house and just looking out the window. And, and he watched as this businessman walked down the street and he was holding something yellow in his hand. Didn't know what, couldn't really tell. Could have been a banana peel, could have been a, you know, a hot pocket packet uh, wrapper or something. Couldn't really tell, but something yellow. And he watched as the man walking down the street looked to his left and then he kind of turned around and, and looked behind him. And when he didn't see anybody, he took whatever that yellow thing was and just threw it over the fence and walked on by. Now, which way did he not look? He didn't look up. He didn't look up. In other words, he didn't care if nobody around saw him, but he didn't even consider the eyes of heaven. So, how are we doing at looking up? Do you look up before you post that thing on social media? Do you look up before you text about your school frustrations or your church frustrations or, or whatever frustrations you may have? Do you look up before you make that statement or ask that question on a, a Zoom call or a Google hang, Hangout or whatever you're using? How are we doing it looking up? Because here's the thing. Christian freedom, Christian liberty looks up before it looks out. Christian freedom looks up. To be free in Christ means that you look up first and most. It means that's a, a part of who you are. And then you do it over and over and over again. You look up. Now, let me drop back and punt just for a second because someone might be thinking, hey man, this sounds like your safety slogan. It sounds like what you're saying is that if I just look up, and all sin is preventable, and I'll never throw trash over a fence. It's not what I'm saying. I am saying this, though. If you don't look up, you're not free. If you don't look up, you are not free. You can beat your chest. You can wear your T-shirts, your hats, your bumper stickers. You can say whatever you want to on social media. But if you are a professing Christian, you don't look up, you are not functioning as a free person. If you're making big decisions and small decisions based on some story about God and Noah and the ark that you heard way back in the day when you were a kid, you are not free. You're not living in the freedom of Christ. Christian liberty doesn't mean Christian perfection, but it does mean Christian direction. Christian liberty means that we should be striving to think and live and act in a way that is loving and helpful. Again, not perfect, but, but somewhere in the ballpark. Somewhere in the ballpark, we are striving to be loving and helpful. We're striving to be free in Christ for the gospel and for others. So, what does any of this have to do with the title of the sermon? Because <laughs> the title of the sermon is No More Death. So what does all this Christian liberty and this Christian freedom have to do with death? Well, let me jump down to verse 14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. 
God raised Jesus from the dead. The, the evidence for this is, is weighty. You, you have to work really, really hard to dismiss the evidence of the resurrection of Christ. But if you are believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus, then the promise of God is that you will be raised from death as well. See, this is, this is what it means. If you're truly a Christian, you take your Christian freedom and you look up first and most and you take your Christian freedom and you let it feed your Christian love and you look for ways to be helpful, you look for ways to show love because the fuel behind all of that is you know that at some certain time, in some certain way, you are going to be raised up, that death will no longer have a sting over you, that you will live forever. And if you're going to live forever, if that promise is true for you in Christ, then it changes how you Because no matter what's happening in the present and no matter what we've been called to do in the present, in our minds, in our hearts, we keep remembering, remembering that the kingdom of Jesus is coming. And when the kingdom comes, there will be no more pandemic. There will be no more protest. There will be no more bullets, no more bullying, no more looting, no more littering, no more fear, no more fires, no more disease, no more depression, no more enemy. This is the promise of God in Jesus. And if that's the promise, the guarantee that we have in Christ, then it means how we speak and how we act and what we do today is different. It must be different. If we are in Christ, we must live different. Dr. Kent Keith is the author of what's known as the Paradoxical Commandments. They've been around since 1968. I've never heard of them until yesterday morning when I got a text from a friend. So thanks, Mike Smith, I appreciate it. Dr. Keith was 19 years old when he wrote the commandments. But when asked about how they came about, he said it kind of all began when he was in school government in the fifth grade, okay, don't miss that. that, that what I'm about to read to you came out of government influence, okay, so here's the commandments and a few of their taglines will be on the screen, this is what he writes, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered, let me just repeat that. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Just to be clear, that's me and that's you. It's not just other people. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you're successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. 
The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and the smallest women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but they follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. Why should we live like that? Should we live like that so that one day at work or at school, at the church, there'll be something donated and there'll be a little plaque with our name on it? No. Should we live that way so that, that one day somebody will talk about us in a sermon or, or put together something on the Good News Network or, or a social media post praising us for doing good anyway? No. No, we should live like that because no matter what our circumstances may be, there's never a time where we can't turn to the king. There's never a time where Jesus doesn't promise rest. And when we turn to the king, and we turn again, and we turn again, and we turn again, when we turn to the king, we will discover that we are free. Dear Christian, you are free indeed. So, what are you going to do with your freedom? What are you going to do with your freedom today? What are you going to do with your Christian liberty? What are you going to do with your Christian freedom? But we only have one call. There's, there's just the one. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with our God.